Oh, I am dandy. And what about you? What, what time is it in, uh, in New Jersey? New Jersey, it is 6 o'clock p.m. Or five, yeah, 6 o'clock p.m. Oh, that's all very civilized. And how's your weekend been, Harry? Uh, it's been pretty good. Uh, what did I do yesterday? Oh, we went um, fruit picking at a farm. So blueberries, raspberries, all that kind of stuff. Fantastic. Uh, walked around. I actually visited uh, Brian Friedlander in the Erasable Group. His um, He's got a little sort of mini store inside a store in Chester, New Jersey, which is about half an hour away from me. Um, and he's selling... Uh, I bought a pack of the Baron Figatomics from him and the... Um, um, what do you call it? The New Field Notes, the three missions. So... Yeah, yeah, he's he's in our Slack group as well. Oh, good, yeah, uh, that's right. Eighteen fifty-seven, yeah. It's a cool little kiosk he has set up. Um, it's it's a it's within this home furnishings and antique store, and and you can go and he's got uh, Faber Castells and um, a couple of other brands, mostly Baron Fig. Um, what else? Uh, he's got sealing waxes. I bought scented sealing wax. Scented. Yeah, it smells like um, I'm trying to think, like potpourri or um. Like Memories? perfume almost. Mm, cool. I've never had scented stuff. I've used other stuff before in the, the I think J.R. Baum makes one as well. I've tried that, but never scented. Yeah, I'm not sure what it'll smell like when it's on fire, but we'll find out <laughs> soon. I often think that about many things. <laughs> exactly. So so is this the show? Are we recording? No, I was just about to say we were you were recording. This is not the show. We're kind of just shooting it but the minute it's just great to have a chat but uh right we, we kind of just have a cold open and then i throw the the music up and then we kind of jump into the, the daily stuff but i'm just enjoying the chat <laughs> don't worry about it harry we'll get some guy called tj we'll do some magic with the editing and it'll sound as though we meant it all to happen this way it's fine excellent so you are our first guest this is episode 25 and you're our first guest. I think I am now honored. you have to have one every 25 episodes or sooner. That's excellent. I'll have to write that down now, TJ. <laughs> I mean, 25 episodes is like almost half a year. So that's like two guests a year. So it's pretty poor, but... It's about, about on a par with my organizational skills. I think that's probably a reasonable <laughs> target. <laughs> We're going for quality, not quantity. Okay, so why don't we get off with, uh, with well, the usual suspects. So uh, I'll kick us off. I'm writing, surprise, surprise, in Mission, the uh, Field Notes new edition, uh, which, well, I'm, what can you say? It's devastatingly cool. Um, these are probably the best Field Notes I've seen in a while. They're, okay. they're, they're classic Field Notes. It's all, it's all American. It's the missions. Uh, it's space. It's exciting. It comes with little models, um, which I'm not going to attempt. Um but no, it's a, it's a great book, very light uh, grid in it. Um, so yeah, I think most people are calling it a a, a classic Field Notes edition. Um, and I'm writing in it with, uh, with well, um, I'm well past Steinbeck now on a Blackwing 10,001. Wow, that was quick. Uh, uh, well, I'll come to it later, but uh, Panic Stations, I, I'm now actually writing down passages of the play in the hope that I might <laughs> actually start learning some of the lines. Uh, what about you, TJ? What are you using? Well, let's hear what Harry has to do first, because I think uh, he's got some interesting stuff too. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it really hasn't changed in the last six to eight months because I've been working on this damn novel. But uh, 
as I said on um, Les's podcast and or it's Les D and Lenore's podcast RSVP, I am using a Blackwing twenty four, working through my box of Blackwing twenty fours, and using the Baron Fig uh, composition vanguards to work on the sixth novel. I'm handwriting this first draft, so that's what I'm using. And I keep hemming and hawing on the the one thousand ones because it's the six hundred two core. It's my second favorite core of theirs. I don't need more pencils. But I am so close to pulling the trigger on these. <laughs> Blasphemy. You always need more pencils. Yeah. <laughs> um, I suppose the thing that you should look at, or the thing I would say, is whether the five sides would work. Because obviously you're doing a lot of long-form writing. So mm-hmm. it's really a question of whether it's going to sit comfortably for you. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't think I've ever used a five-sided pencil. I've used round and, and the hex and the semi-hex, but five-sided I haven't really used yet. I can't imagine it would be that. My fing- my fingers are so large and chunky, I don't know. I, I feel like I wouldn't even feel it. Yeah, I have to say that that's where I am with it. It's kind of anatomically belligerent. So the six-sided is good because you get if three fingers gripping. There's three sides not being touched and three sides being touched on a normal hex pencil. Whereas with a, a pentagon pentacle, it doesn't. The math doesn't work. Hmm. I get, it's funny you say that because I'm, I'm clearly I'm now gazing at my hand in a slightly deranged <laughs> fashion. But um, I've got one side is lying on the finger, and yeah. then my forefinger is lying squarely on a side, and my thumb is kind of on a ridge. Yeah, that's that's how it's working. And, um, I've I've no idea if that's how I normally hold a pencil or not, but um, it's yeah. I I don't feel any real difference. But I know who was it? I think it was Johnny Gamba uh, on Pencilution wrote that it he he could feel that something wasn't quite right, um, even if it wasn't uncomfortable. If you see what I mean? Yeah. Odd. Hmm. I haven't written with mine yet. I have them sitting here waiting to go. The uh, the lipstick color is throwing me off a bit. It's I love the. The design, I love the shape. The color is... Doesn't go with your shoes or... <laughs> Doesn't go with my bag. Uh, no, it's just it's just not my jam. I don't know. I, I like the pink of the previous one. Um, uh-huh. I thought that was a nice bright pop. This one's just like a dull... I don't know. I'm not sure about the color. It just doesn't doesn't pop for me like the other ones. Mm, yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Right, but it's yeah. Blackwing, isn't it? You either love it or just think it's great or just think it's almost great. I'm just waiting for them to make the uh, extra firm core a standard part of the lineup. I, I'm, I'm, I wonder. I don't know if it's a matter of them like figuring out what the finish should be to go with the other ones, mm-hmm. or if they're holding out because it's like it's the volumes version, so it, it keeps people subscribed. But still, uh, if they made that a standard lineup, I would just have that on. You know, subscribe and save. Yeah, yeah. Just keep delivering them until they tell you stop. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I know that Alex over at Blackwing spent a lot of time rejigging the Blackwing designs uh, whenever they changed the erasers and removed the gold band and things like that. They spent mm-hmm. a lot of time trying to figure out what the colors would be and what, what combos worked. That's when they put the pink eraser on the 602. Um, I think they removed the black band, oh, sorry, the gold band from the black MMX. Right. And they swapped the pearl to a white eraser from previously being black. So they are very cognizant of having those kind of match colors that look good and specific pencils having specific styles. So you might be right. It may be just that they don't know how to to style it, how to differentiate it yet. 
It could be. I mean, I think I think there's there's a lot to be said as well for the volumes model is a great driver for them. I mean, a of subscribers, which is obviously great if you can get some you know upfront revenue. Every business likes that. But also, I think just from a marketing and PR side, there's there's always buzz, just like with field notes. Yeah. There's there's buzz and there's a cycle. People get um, anticipated. Uh, the, the 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 erasable group and others get really excited about it all. And you know that's that's fantastic business. Yeah, and they they seem to really have hit their stride lately with the last several editions. Um, I thought the volume one was stunning. I really like that edition. And the the exquisite corpse is that what it's called the pink one? Yeah, um, yeah. that one again like a real stunner, like just a, a really solid, not neon Lisa Frank pink, but a, a really nice. What what's the word millennial pink? Um, <laughs> that's, it's a really nice yeah. looking pencil. And then this one, I really love the red the red pink finish that you can see the grain underneath. I just it, they're they're doing some really interesting things. Yeah, they're definitely yeah, pushing the envelope every time. Uh, if they could only sort out the distributorship in the UK, but let's not go there. Let's not get me angry. I'm in a, I'm in a happy place. The axe is there to grind, but it's not uh, yeah. for today. I still don't have any. I still do not have any of these pencils to sell people. Oh, anyway, um, I'm interested. The composition vanguards. Mm-hmm. Are they the, the the sort of softer cover ones? Yes, they're the. I guess A five is the closest you could say mm-hmm. they are. I, I think they're like American A five, uh, yeah. but they're the marble <laughs> covered one. They look like the you know twenty five cent composition notebooks you would find in a Staples or a Target. Okay, okay. and uh, how how are they? I mean, are they good to write in? Or? <clears throat> they are. They're toothy as hell, though. I keep having even on the the black one, uh, the um, what do you call it, the twenty four? There, which is the extra firm core. I still find myself having to sharpen quite a bit. Um, uh-huh. Which which depending on how you look at it is great. It's it really feels nice to write on, um, but it just eats graphite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, but their paper has been consistently great for pencil. And I'm guessing that, I mean, if you're writing a novel long form now, you, you must be putting quite a lot of words down in one go. Each each book holds about fifteen to 16,000 words um, okay. in my handwriting. So I filled an, a complete pack of three um, working on the next set. So I'm a little over 40,000 words now. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's... I once filled an entire. I, I sorry. I once put an entire novel inside one of the extra large, like the the eight and a half by eleven size soft cover Moleskine notebooks, um, mm-hmm. and only filled about half of it. So this, and I did that with a pen, and that one I didn't have to worry so much about, you know, larger handwriting because of the duller pencil or anything like that. Um, but I, I've been satisfied, and it's going to look really nice when I finish the book, and I've got six or seven notebooks filled up completely, <laughs> sitting on top of each other. And, and how do you find it for for handwear? I mean, did you sort of go to bed with your hand in a sling, or it some some days feel like that? What I've been doing is um, a lot of writers do sprints, so I'll, I'll set a timer on my watch for twenty minutes. I'll write for twenty minutes, take a break, um, maybe do something for an hour and then come back to it and do another 20 minute sprint just to get the words down. But that, mm-hmm. that seems to really help in um, avoiding like major hand cramps. I also outline the chapter before I write it. So I don't have to sit there wondering what I'm going to write. Um, oh, okay. And it just helps things flow a little better. So do you okay. find sometimes you get to the end of a, a sprint and you think, 
I've still got some in the tank. I'm still going. Or do you have to yeah, but if you, if you listen to Hemingway, you know, the old the old proverb goes, you know, stop right where you keep want to keep going so you have something mm-hmm. to write about the next day. So okay. I sometimes oh, when you run out of rum. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh right, was it right drunk, edit sober? That so so it. sometimes I'll I'll keep going because I need to finish the thought and sometimes I'll <laughs> you know, if I know where it's gonna go, I'll leave it so I have somewhere to jump off from and I'm I'm not sitting there floundering for however long. Sure. Cool. Yeah, floundering or being drawn into Facebook and all the other oh, yeah. pitfalls that exist. <laughs> Someone suggested on Twitter an app like or a plugin that shows you when you've reached 70,000 words in a day on Twitter, this could have been a novel. It'll alert you. This could have been a novel had you been writing your novel. <laughs> I thought that was a uh, great dude. idea. I do. Uh, so Harry Marks would have three novels a day. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. See, I've been writing in a in my story supply with Pencil Pusher with uh, Palomino Forest Choice, and I've been filling it with uh, house and wedding plans. There's a lot of things to plan. A lot of planning. A lot of planning. A lot of notes. Well, a lot of names. What order is this happening in? It's the house first, isn't it? <laughs> well, hopefully, yeah. But, I mean, who knows yeah. at this rate? Legal niceties. Wonderful <laughs> words. <laughs> um, so, yeah. What are we watching? What about you, Harry? Um, I have been catching up on The Blacklist on Netflix, which is an NBC show starring James Spader. Mm-hmm. As a wanted criminal, he's the number one FBI's most wanted, and at the beginning of the series, he turns himself in, but he'll only speak to this one agent, her name's Elizabeth Keene, and he won't tell anyone why. The prevailing notion is that he's related to her in some way, but in any event, he, he turns himself in, and he sort of has this, uh, uh, what do you call it, like immunity deal. Um, yeah he helps them catch other criminals. And so he's he's a criminal, he has his ulterior motives, but James Spader, I, I've never seen a man chew the scenery so well. He is an absolute joy to watch. And if you if you want to get a taste of it, there's this scene at the end of the first season where uh, one of the agents is shot and they're locked in this tank where they store the criminals. And I think the, the bad guys have overtaken the, the hideout. And he's locked in there with him, and he gives him this absolutely beautiful soliloquy on what he wants to do when he gets out. And I just, it's James Spader at his finest, and it completely sells you on the series. So I've been watching that. Um, and then just recently, we watched the remake of It on uh, HBO. They just got it. Mm-hmm. So um, that one was good. I, I feel like Bill Skarsgård's. Pennywise was good, but not as good as Tim Curry's Pennywise. Um, in fact, the only part of the original series, miniseries that holds up is Tim Curry's performance. Um, the rest of it is completely hokey and uh, <laughs> very much a product of its time of the early 90s. But the the Tim Curry performance as Pennywise the Clown is still terrifying. But this one's really good. A lot of good jump scares. So Yeah. <laughs> jump scares. Yeah. All right, I'm going to look up that blacklist. That sounds uh, might be right up my street. That one, I think. I think I've seen yeah, it's, an episode or two. It's it's semi um, semi. What do you call it? Uh, um, what's the word? Uh, like for police dramas. Um, procedural. Procedural. Thank you, man. And I'm a writer too. Go figure. Uh, <laughs> there, it's semi procedural, semi long arc over the whole series. So um, okay. you get a little bit of both worlds, and it's it's really well done. Okay. All right, cool. Uh, I'm I'm not watching very much. Uh, uh, 
the country in which I live is uh, currently swept away in a tide of ever-increasing optimism, uh, and dare I say it, expectation, um, and that, that rarely ends well. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the football, or soccer, for our American listeners, uh, World Cup is in full flow. England, uh, at the time of recording, had just won their quarter-final. Uh, so there's a, TJ will know this, I'm not sure that Harry will, there's a song called Football's Coming Home. Yeah, TJ doesn't know this. I don't know it either. (laughs) If it has to do with sports, I probably don't know it. (laughs) Well, wherever you go um, in England at the moment, you will hear this. In fact, if you uh, go onto Twitter, uh, you will find the changing of the guard at Buckingham Palace is playing Football's Coming Home. The changing of the guard at Windsor Castle is playing Football's Coming Home. Um, Because... Uh, England are, are doing terribly well. I mean, I, I I don't like football, and I'm Scottish, so I'm not <laughs> necessarily a huge England fan, to be honest. Um, but I do, I do love the fact that they um, the country just seems so much happier and lighter and nicer place when they're doing well, and and everybody's really excited. So I've watched a bit of that um, and done the incumbent drinking of beer. Um, I may even at some point have gone Ingerland. Uh, which is what you have to say at these things. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's from, that's it for me. TV has just been a bit of World Cup football. I have not watched it and don't plan to. Same. Well, there you are. <laughs> America was corrected. Ousted, wasn't it? The World Cup doesn't have the states in it. Not this year, no. Although we're we're still watching it. Apparently, like everywhere I go, there's a TV with it tuned to it. Mm, okay. Yeah. Well, you know. Each to their own. I uh, haven't been watching anything. Uh, I just finished work there on Friday for two weeks vacation. And uh, I will hopefully be spending Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday at various points during those days watching trashy 80s movies on Amazon Prime. Nice. So, been looking forward to it for a while. And then we go camping on Thursday, so I won't be watching anything. Fantastic. Is Meg off all week as well? or Nope. Meg is in work tomorrow morning. Ah, so that's why you're watching trashy eighties movies. Yes, she will not watch them with me. For some reason, she thinks terrible movies are not fun to watch. I don't get it. Do you do you have any ideas of what you're watching? Any? Oh any my goodness, yet? there's some real trash ones, uh, like Toxic Avenger and all those ones. The oh, the old Hoffman. trauma movies. Yeah, nice. yeah. So they've been on my watch list for a while. I read a lot of books about them. Um, sort of watch snippets and bits and pieces of them in film school. So. I just want to watch crap films, basically, and I'm Excellent. really looking forward to it. I gotta say, if you have the chance, Roadhouse, uh, Roadhouse. starring yes, uh, was that Kurt? Was that Kurt Russell? Yeah, Kurt Russell. That sounds and, right. Yeah. Or Patrick Swayze, I think Patrick, Patrick Swayze. Right, yeah. Um, and Sam Elliott, great, great movie. Also, uh, Summer School, starring Mark Harmon, excellent. Um, yeah, if I come up with any others, I'll let you know. But those are some of the good ones. Miss. Roadhouse is excellent. terrific. <laughs> Ah, yeah, so that's what I'm going to watch, Uh, but at the minute, not an awful lot. Uh, And also, not reading a bunch, but I hope, whenever we're camping, uh, to read loads, because I've got three or four books sitting there, so I'm going to just make it a, well, we won't have par for the most part, so I'll I'll have to read, so I'm looking forward to to 10 days worth of reading. Yeah, fantastic. So you're getting away from it properly when you're camping. Yeah, we had the option to add electricity. And I neglected to add it. All right. Very cool. So what are you listening to? 
uh, listening, still the 1857 Analog Audio Spotify playlist. If I'm allowed to do a little plug of our own thing. Uh, uh-huh. Which has got some of my favorite songs on it. Really, really. I must uh, I must uh, start putting some together, actually. I think I might put a, a Friday afternoon um, playlist up there. Probably be too heavy for you, TJ, but um, some, of the, <laughs> some of the old folk in, in 1857 Slack will like it. And what about you, Harry? Are you reading anything good? I am, as part of uh, my podcast's new sort of deal we have going with Audible. Um, if you sign up for a free trial, you get a, a free book, the usual. I think you guys are also doing something similar. Yeah, so nice. I downloaded Dracula as narrated by um, Alan Cumming and Tim Curry and this all-star cast. They're basically performing the book um, with That's Tim awesome. Curry as Van Helsing. And it's really good. I'm only about a chapter and a half in, but it's really, really good. I usually don't listen to audiobooks because um, I tend not to be able to focus for long periods of time, mm-hmm. um, especially to one voice. But I'm hoping because this is many voices all together as sort of a radio play, um, it, it will be easier for me to focus and figure out what's going on. So cool. that's sure. what I've been doing. Sure. And then, um, okay, so that's listening. I'll wait until we get to the, the reading part of it. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got to jump in on that one and say if you haven't then uh on tj's recommendation i listened yeah. to american gods by uh neil gaiman mm-hmm. uh that's a full cast recording as well oh and, excellent uh, that was stunning i mean that really was stunning that was Who, a fantastic who's in that one listen. is it are there any big names in there uh none that i knew but that doesn't necessarily mean an enormous amount <laughs> uh, no one no one jumped out at me but um they were very, very talented actors and actresses. So, let me ask you because I, I've been wanting to know this, and it sounds so familiar, and I cannot figure out your opening theme. Is it from a Charlie Chaplin film? Is it from a Marx Brothers film? I cannot figure it out, but I recognize it. <laughs> so that's really interesting. Our our opening music and closing music comes from a ancient film called uh, "Old Family Album Goes Modern." which is from the Prelinger archives. Uh, Have you ever heard of the Prelinger archives? No. So it's uh, this guy, Rick Prelinger, basically took all these ephemeral American movies from the 50s, 60s, and sort of beyond, and sort of curated them into this library of public domain films. Uh, So it's it's part of archive.org, and you can go on and download them and use them and cut them together. So they're in my videos quite a bit because they're all public domain. And so this one is like this old video sort of advertising photography services so that hmm. people can like immortalize their family. And this is the the start of it. I actually have it here on the computer. Let me see if I can get, pull it up, play it. Um, it's so funny. And I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if another place used it. Cause a lot of those yeah, studios would repurpose those, those songs for mm-hmm. whatever, but it sounds so familiar. And I'm like, where have I heard that? Cause I watch TCM all the time. And, and I always hear that, that music. Yeah. <laughs> Let me play it here and see if we can get some. Yeah, so it's a silent movie. I can put the link in the show notes. To be enjoying so much this business of eating. It wasn't many moons ago, but it was just. So yeah, I I dig a lot of stuff out of the Prelinger archives to then use in videos. Uh, because some of the stuff is just incredible, and it's it's public domain. So yes, there are still gray areas in terms of uh, copyright and, and brands and things like that. But for the most part, the actual productions are you know 
70, 80 years old, and so they're well mm-hmm. out of copyright, and so you can use them however you see fit. It's great, because every time I hear it, I imagine someone, you know, in the background, and in the future, someone may walk on the moon. <laughs> uh, dear. Yeah, Have you seen you my mean. new video? My new video is basically that. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> With a very so. dubious sounding English accent. Yeah, it's that transatlantic it's accent. It's that, that yeah. not quite British, not quite American accent. Somewhere in the middle, somewhere damp in the middle. Alrighty, so we've done listening. It's got to be. It's got to be reading now. Yeah. Um, what are you reading, Harry? I am reading um, "Under the Banner of Heaven" by John Krakauer, who wrote um, "Into Thin Air" about the the climb to Mount Everest. And this one is about a double homicide that occurred on a Mormon family from a fundamentalist Mormon family member. So. In America, the I was surprised to find out the largest uh, church, the the most influential uh, religious body in this country, is the Church of Latter Day Saints, the the Mormon Church. But there are splinter cells off of it. Um, the fundamentalist, the FLDS, is what they call themselves, the Fundamentalist Church of Latter Day Saints, and they are a very very strict. Um, religious sect they still wear they're called prairie dresses they're very simple all covering dresses the women's hair are up in buns um you know the the women are very subservient they stay to the to the quote womanly duties which i hate Mm. but you know cooking cleaning taking care of the children while the men go out and work um and they live by themselves in this town mostly um on the border of Arizona and Utah called Colorado City. So they're they're closed off from the rest of the world. They keep to themselves. But there are a lot of issues of so the the I should say the main reason they've split off from the main church of Mormonism is to practice polygamy, plural marriage. So the most prominent member who was arrested um, several years ago, Warren Jeffs, had something like thirty wives and eighty children and um he, they couldn't arrest him on that alone. They arrested him for a number of things, I think like tax evasion and um, fraud uh, of government funds. They Basically, the women would file as single mothers for welfare checks, and that money would be used to do things within the church by the husbands or by Warren Jeffs himself. So a lot of scandal and stuff going on. But the book tells the story of this double homicide, this woman and her child, um, at the hands of the brother-in-law and I believe one of the other brothers um, who are fundamentalist Mormons. And it goes into the history of the Mormon church and when they split off and the people who, who joined the FLDS and everything. Really, really fascinating. And the reason I'm reading it is because my, my current novel is a fictionalized version of the FLDS. So I've been researching like crazy. So this is what I've been reading. Okay. And is it... Um... Is it is it sort of factual? Is it intended to be factual, or is it even-handed? Is it the which one, it, mine or the the one I'm reading? Uh, under the banner of heaven, it's it's true crime. It's it's real. It it actually happened. It's it's um it is nonfiction. So it goes into the history of the Mormon Church and then this actual double murder that really happened. Oh wow! wow. It's a little bit Margaret Atwood, isn't it? Little bit, yeah. I mean, it, it's fun. I don't know if you ever watch um. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, but on on Netflix. But the <laughs> the dresses they wear when they come out of the bunker are exactly the kinds of dresses they wear in the more in the FLDS. Um, so you get an idea of what they dress like, and um, yeah, it's it's an interesting and and weird 
community, the the way they operate. There are no books, no television. Wow. Interestingly enough, they can drink coffee and um, something. They, they can eat certain food that the regular Mormon church cannot. Like the regular Mormons don't drink coffee, which I think is weird. But um, this more strict church can also drink coffee. But hmm. um, yeah, it's 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 weird. And, and uh, uh, you know, a lot of people refer to it as a cult, which I guess is appropriate. But um, yeah, so that's that's what I've been reading. Fascinating, nevertheless. Mm, that, that sounds like another one for the list, actually. That's right up my street. Be in the show notes. Yeah, indeed. Yes, it'll be in the show notes. Um, <laughs> well, uh, this is getting boring now. I mean, have I mentioned that I'm doing a play? Um, yes, Panic Stations. <laughs> very aptly named. Um, I was at rehearsals at nine o'clock this morning. Um, as the cast have unilaterally decided that more rehearsals is probably a good thing. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, the, the curtain's up in about two, two and a bit weeks, I think something like that. Um, and I don't think anybody's confident with their lines. So essentially I'm reading my lines. I'm listening to my lines. I'm writing my lines. Uh, I'm trying to pull every stunt in the book in the hope that I might <laughs> learn some of the lines. Um, and then, uh, when that fails, I'll just ad lib. <laughs> why not uh, yeah, indeed but that that's the sum total of my reading at the moment and will be for the next couple of the weeks I'd say what about you TJ you got anything going no uh, nothing at the moment but like I say I'm, I'm very much looking forward to camping because I've elected for, to have no electricity I'm going Mormon style I'm not having any electricity but I am allowed books uh, so the Mormons have electricity, TJ. Oh. I've read about this. They have electricity. The Amish are the ones who do not. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm not good with the the religions and the sects and the different things. I'm. Yeah. So. Are you taking all your wives or? <laughs> no, only one. Only the first. Um, I'll see. The other ones might get a bit annoyed if I don't bring them. So maybe we'll rotate. You know, sort of two or three days each. <laughs> right, you are. Uh, once again, for law enforcement, that was a joke. <laughs> oh, wow, good start. Drinking, I have just finished my Pilsner, which is very sad, and I don't have any more. Oh, oh dear. Mm. Pilsner shortage. I, I would offer you one of mine, but clearly it's quite a long walk. <laughs> writer's Tears, though? I'm just checking yeah, the show that sounds here. really interesting. Writers, yes, tears. it Tell is an Irish. Tears. It's an Irish whiskey. Um, it's really good. There's very little bite to it, um, but it's uh, yeah. It, it's funny. I came across it. I think on Instagram, someone had posted a picture of it, and for a while, I couldn't wow. find it. You could only buy it online, and then my local grocery store started carrying it in their liquor section. So uh, a, a very good, uh, generous person, friend of mine, who. Um, saw on Twitter I had been talking about, gifted me. I guess he had a gift card and he didn't know how to use it. So he gifted me uh, a bottle. And uh, it was very, very kind of him. Very cool. I have seen it here in the stores because uh, obviously we would have Irish whiskey, Shocker. Um, but I have seen it, but I have not tried it. Yeah, it's very good. And and from what I've heard from even, you know, the whiskey aficionados, um, they, they say it's also, you know, pretty good comparatively. All right, let's let's get on with it. Let's find out. Really was I was trying to work out whether Harry C. Marx is in fact a human being or some sort of cyborg. Depends on the as, day. Uh, usually I, a cyborg. <laughs> as far as I can work out, Harry, you you don't have time to sleep. 
I don't. And I, I really only function on about, oh God, five hours of sleep a night. Because um, I'm up at 4.30 in the morning every morning to get to work. Um, I take, I live in New Jersey. I work in New York City. And I take a very early train to get in there for a variety of reasons. But mostly so I can get parking at my train station. So, and the other reason is, so I have time to work early in the morning before the day officially starts. So I, I'm up at 4.30. I'm at the door at 5 o'clock. And then I'm in the city by about 6.15. Um, if it's nice enough, I'll walk from Penn Station in New York City to my office, which is about uh, 20 blocks, um, 25 blocks, get a cup of coffee, enjoy the view. Um, if it's not, I'll take the subway. So, hmm. Wow. Nice. Because you, you have a full-time job in the city, yeah? I have, and I'm thrilled I get to say this on 1857. I have a jobby job. And <laughs> I... Uh, I, yeah, I, I do. I have a nine to five or, or as actually it's really like seven to five. Um, and so I really only get about two hours a day of time in um, to work on my book or to really do anything I need to do. That's not, you yeah, know, work yeah, related. But, I mean, hold the phones here because in that two hours, you, you read because all writers read. Mm-hmm. You write. You podcast. You edit the latest Plumbago. You guest yeah. on podcasts. You occasionally post the odd tweet. I mean, no more than 700 a minute. That's true. That's right. I'm and, on Twitter most of the day. <laughs> and recently, I'm finding you on, on Instagram and stuff as well. Yeah, I, I, Instagram's easy because I'll take a picture and I can just post it very quickly and, and not worry about it. I'm I'm... I'm not on Instagram the way I am on Twitter. Um, Twitter, I am on all the time. Please don't tell the jobby job. But yes, I am on Twitter <laughs> all the time. Uh, given the state of our political climate, uh, it's hard not to be. I feel like if I'm not on Twitter and not in the loop, then I'm missing something important. Yeah. Um, but also, Twitter is where my audience is. And God, that sounds really just terrible to say out loud but yes that is where my audience is um it's the best way to build my community um all my writer people are on there i'm in this group dm with a bunch of other writers actually like four other writers um and it's it's a really nice sort of haven away from the grossness of regular twitter um but yeah i you know i i record the podcast my show covered um usually at night during the week around 8 30 9 o'clock um and then i i I'll edit it in the morning before work, um, and that usually only takes a couple of hours now. And then, yeah, the rest of the time I, I used to write my book. And you've written several books, haven't you? I've completed five. I am working on a sixth. That's, I mean, that's pretty prodigious. Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird because I, it's weird to talk about being a writer and not actually being published. Though I have had short fiction published, which is nice, and and in Plumbago and on. Um, a horror zine i'm working on an essay for the coil which is a, a small literary magazine online um so I'm, I'm working on building those credits up and also i should say I, a short story of mine was published at baron fig as part of their new mysterium squire mm -hmm. release. Mm -hmm. so it was yes and a great short story it was too thank you um and I, although i loathe to say it about somebody who won't let me sell their stuff really nice <laughs> pen Really nice pen. Yeah, it's it's a really gorgeous pen. It's funny. It used to look different. It used to be. It wasn't completely orange. Um, I had seen a, a a draft of it, but the what they wanted to to do wasn't going to work with the anodized aluminum, so they had to change it. But um, still came out absolutely stunning. And orange is my favorite. So 
I'm okay with it. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I I read somewhere actually you you were explaining that um, because Joey comes across as a very sort of uh, seat of the pants guy, but he's not. He's a he's a big planner, isn't he? You, oh, he is. This was yeah, in he, the works for like a year or something. He came to me, yeah, over a year ago and asked, "Would you like to contribute this?" And the story itself took me maybe three or four days to write, and we we would go back and forth on edits to make sure it fit with what they wanted to do and it would fit within the space. And then, uh, yeah, it was just a matter of waiting until now. And he said it was around, uh, I think he said around April of 2018 it would come out. And I think it was May when it finally came out. But yeah, he he said that these things always take about a year, year and a half to come out. So yes, it seems like he releases a lot because there seems to be a new release every Tuesday. But he's had, mm. he's had these things <laughs> in the works for over a year. Um, this company really functions like a well-oiled machine. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. <sighs> okay. So, oh, and when you're not doing all of that, you also have a family, don't you? I do. I see them occasionally. Um, yeah, it's my <laughs> wife and my my son. He's going to be four very soon. So that's been exciting. God, it's that difficult age between sort of well zero and twenty five, isn't it? Yeah, a lot of boundary pushing, and I'm sure when he's older, there will be other boundary pushing, but. Uh, for now, it's you know seeing how far he can go before he gets time out. <laughs> <laughs> I do that too. Don't worry. <laughs> I, I'm making no comment at all. <laughs> no, I I wrote a note here that's um very specific to me really because um again I heard it um I think it was on RSVP actually where where you were interviewing you were talking about self publishing and the fact that it didn't really hold any interest for you. It doesn't, and not to say it's not for others who who want to do it. Um, it's it's awesome if you're if you're willing to put in the effort and the time, and in many cases the money to do it properly. I've read plenty of self published books that have been phenomenal, and I've interviewed self published authors on my show. Uh, for me, it's not an avenue I want to take. I don't want to. I don't have the money to spend on doing it properly, and I I don't want to spend my entire time marketing a book. And also the books I write, like the one I'm working on now is considered more literary fiction, which sounds kind mm -hmm. of arrogant and, and douchey, but it's basically what it means is it's a book that focuses more on prose and larger themes than a genre book might focus on like plot and story and, and fast acting action and all that stuff. So, you know, one isn't better than the other, but one sells better as a self-published work than the other. Literary fiction does not do well self-published, just like I don't think nonfiction works very well self-published. Um, but if you uh -huh. write romance or mystery or thriller or something where someone can read one of your books and immediately download the next and binge through them, then it works really well. And I don't work that way. So for me, my ultimate goal is to see my book on a shelf in a bookstore um, you know, to have the, the backing of a publisher behind me, to have a professionally designed cover that I didn't have to pay for, um, all of that. And I know I lose yeah. control with that. I know that, you know, I'm at the, mm -hmm. I'm at the, the, you know, the, the whims of the editor and the designer and everything, but I'm okay with that. Like my, my big goal here is to get published. Well, I mean, the, the obvious timeline? question then. I'm sorry, one at a time, gentlemen. <laughs> Former Q, after you, TJ. So do you see that as a, as a timeline you're working on, or is it still kind of nebulous as to how long that takes? I mean, I, I've the first five books, 
they've pretty much been shelved. Um, although the, it's been said that if you you know you can get one published, it's easier to get your back catalog published. So maybe one day those will get put on a shelf somewhere, you know, published and, mm -hmm. and put on a bookshelf. Um, for now, the goal is to finish this one I'm working on. I've had a couple people look at it and they've said like, we've read your other ones. This is the one, this is the one that will get you your agent. And this is the one that will be published, which has been great to hear. So the goal is within the next couple of months to finish this book, to start querying it and to get an agent. And then from there, who knows? Awesome. Cool. And the, the question I was going to ask was, um, I, I suppose, an obvious one and a difficult one. Why do you write? I'm not good at anything else. Um, yeah, it's I, I've always wanted to be a writer. I, even when I was very, very young and I would have my mom dictate stories into WordPerfect on the computer, I have, I have always wanted to be a writer of some sort. Um, when I was in high school, my senior project was adapting a, sh a short story by the mystery author Lawrence Block, who I interviewed on my show. He's my hero. He is the reason I became a writer. Um, I adapted one of his short stories into a screenplay. I had originally wanted to be a screenwriter, and it didn't really work out um, at school, and I realized I also wanted to make money, so I <laughs> abandoned that dream. And, but I still wanted to write. And so for a while I put it on the shelf. I never really looked at the idea of writing again. And then about seven, six or seven years ago, I was like, I, I have this idea for a story. I want to write it just to see if I can do it. And I did. And I, I was shocked. I actually reached the end because I tried to write a book before and it, it I crapped out at around 20,000 words. So um, this one I finished, and I figured, well, if I can do it once, I can do it again. My mistake was in thinking that first book was publishable. It was not. So I <laughs> queried about 50 people, 50 agents, got rejections across the board, and was like, all right, well, that was a fun experiment. Let's wait until the next one comes along. And so, yeah, I've done it five times now. So I'm either ambitious and determined, or I'm absolutely crazy. Or equal measures. Absolutely. What? Probably a combination of both, but do you do you find do you take satisfaction in those books even though they're not getting getting you that sort of recognition that you're looking for? They're not. Every book I've written is a lesson in how not to write a book, and and I learn something new every time I do. And more than anything, I'm I've been able to find my voice in writing these books, and instead of trying to be another author or to be an author that I'm not. Um, you know, writing and finishing these books has allowed me to really hone my craft. And, you know, the what's been great is seeing, even in the rejections from agents, going from regular form letters to letters with feedback and, and encouragement, like, you know, it would go from thank you, but no thank you, to this is really good and it will find a home, keep, keep working at it. Like that kind of dichotomy between mm -hmm. rejection letters was incredible to see because that's that's really motivating um to know that i'm going in the right direction okay and so this uh this novel that you're writing now is it in a is it an evolution of a previous novel or is it a completely different style and different uh completely story? different so the last one i finished was it was called the library at the center of the earth it was very much an adventure like national treasure indiana jones kind of novel um okay. this one is very much more uh literary not not as action-packed though there are all though there are some sequences of action and it it's told from two points of view it's um a 12 year old girl within the cult um who is married to the prophet the leader of the cult 
Um, and then the other point of view is a private investigator who has been hired by the girl's father. He's been excommunicated, and he has hired this private investigator to help him get his family out um, because he can't go to the cops. They're all – every, every um, authority – figure in the town limits is sort of either bribed by or part of this church group this this cult yeah. so he goes mm -hmm. to this outside party for help wow there's some heavy stuff in there Harry. yeah there's a lot there's uh i i should say that the the prophet is the girl's uncle and before you say wow that sounds outlandish that's actually a thing that happens um incest and and uh sort of child you know, pedophilia, that kind of stuff that's happening right now in the FLDS. It is a, a, an issue that has yet to be reckoned with from the, from a federal investigation standpoint, because as soon as they go in there and start, you know, tearing families apart, it becomes a question of religious liberty and sort of echoes of Waco all over again. Um, for those who don't know, in Waco, Texas, in the early 90s, the FBI stormed the compound of the Branch Davidians, who were a uh, fundamentalist religious cult uh, cult or sect, however you want to call it. Um, they were stockpiling guns and grenades, and the FBI got wind and made a whole bunch of bad mistakes, and a ton of people died. I think there were 30 or 40 deaths within the compound. It was an absolute nightmare for a month. Mm, yeah, wow. I, I remember that. It was uh, it was horrific. I mean, the guy, the guy at the heart of it was Koresh. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, grade A Fruit Loop. Yeah, you know he he's. It, it's hard to say if you ever get a chance. In Paramount Network, they used to be Spike TV, but um, they rebranded. They did this unbelievable six part miniseries with um, what's his name, uh, Kitch Taylor Kitch, um, who was on Friday Night Lights. He played David Koresh, and the guy was absolutely electric i mean just a, a phenomenal performance but you it's based on two different books told from two different sides of the of the coin so it was based on a book told by one of the survivors from the branch davidians and it was also told from the memoir of the fbi negotiator who was there and so you get both sides of the the story and depending on who you align with you come across you come away with a, a different understanding and a different conclusion of what went down i i am on the the side of the davidians i believe that they were wrongly persecuted even though they were doing some weird things shady things um mm -hmm. but i i believe that the the government acted improperly and used some really questionable methods of getting them out uh if if the the series is true to life the gas they used to smoke them out was highly flammable and was probably behind the fire that sparked in the compound and killed all those people. Um, mm. And if that was the case, then, you know, the FBI lied to the American public after the fact and killed, murdered a whole bunch of people who really didn't deserve it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And so this, this book I'm writing is, is uh, it's based on what I think is a more dangerous cult um, just in that what they are allowed to get away with in the name of religious liberty is pretty damning. And this is going to be finished in a couple of months, you say? Yeah, I'm a little over halfway done with what I hope to be as the first draft. So I, I'm a little over 40,000 words. I'm aiming for around 80, 85 total. Um, so yeah. And what's I mean, the process after that? I mean, do you, do you do several drafts or? 
So I write it, I handwrite it um, in those vanguards, and then I transfer it into an application called Scrivener, um, which is where I've written all of my books, and that counts as a second draft. I'll print it out, I'll go through it with a red pencil, um, probably these um, these Eagle chemist-sealed, very thin carmine red pencils mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, from Mr. Michael Hagen, and uh, I'll go through that in a hard copy, and then I'll transcribe those edits into a final draft and hopefully it'll be ready to go okay awesome. all right so that's relatively relatively quick editing process then yeah the i mean because i've been able to outline this and i've i've had a better grasp on the the story and and the narrative and everything from the previous books i've written i i feel like this one the getting the first draft down is a pain because of the handwriting process but once it's in the computer finishing the book and for um being queryable that'll take a lot less time mm -hmm. very good all right tj yeah i mean we've covered so much this it's really interesting you obviously deep dive on stuff i think like both of us do you kind of you sort of get the top level of a subject and then dive quite deeply and it sort of revolves around all the the various things that feed into it but um i mean from our perspective i'm, I'm turning my perspective it's really interesting to, to speak to someone else doing a podcast because like we're just mostly talking. I'm sure you've gotten that impression. <laughs> it's not it's not tremendously professional. It's not tremendously edited or curated or carefully put together. That's why I love it. <laughs> to be honest, I love it because I love listening to Stu's voice. That's really it. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say the same for yours. I mean, if you could just narrate everything I do, that would be fantastic. And I, I feel woefully under prepared accent wise for this podcast i i feel like i am i'm not qualified to be on this show no no my, you're good you're hideous good. american accent <laughs> it's delightful no i know you haven't got a hideous american accent <laughs> so you should you should hear me when i talk like if i if i go out in public and i i need to get a cup of coffee i i need a bagel with some schmear i you know <laughs> then it gets really bad i'm walking here Hey, buddy. <laughs> well, I mean, that's just survival techniques in in that part of the world, isn't it? It is. Yeah. If you're if you're not arrogant or if you're not aggressive and drop your R's, then you cannot survive out here. And you were you're you guys are already not pronouncing your R's at the end of words, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're a whole different problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I mean, what, what was your question, TJ? You've I don't think I had one. I was just, just enjoying the, the conversation. It's just a real... It's really interesting to talk to someone else who does this and does it to a much more professional, polished level than we do. Um, and it's great for me personally to see that kind of the, that jobby job and get this, I coined this today, hobby job, sort of the divide there. Oh, very got nice. The, the thing that's your, your breadwinner and the thing that's your kind of passion project. That's something I'm trying to do more of with Wood and Graphite. I want to make that you know, a bit more of what I do in my spare time. And it's it's great to see someone doing you know, 10 times that quite successfully. Yeah, <laughs> so. I, I, and I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I, I As I told Les when I went on RSVP, part of the reason I started Covered was to... It was essentially for selfish reasons. I did it because I wanted to learn from other authors and publishing professionals, you know, what, what does it, 
what does it take to write a yeah. book? What does it take to publish a book or work in the publishing industry? Um, in the case of the agents and the the audiobook people I've I've spoken to, so you know, I I appreciate the kind words, and it's so funny because I feel wholly unqualified to do that show when I listen to people like Terry Gross or David Naiman, who hosts Between the Covers and and conducts some of the most incredibly sophisticated interviews I've ever heard and I go on mm -hmm. and I I imagine I sound like Bobcat Goldthwait trying to talk to someone hi guys what are you doing like <laughs> I I cannot imagine myself as a proper interviewer uh I I feel like a child trying to sit at the grown-up table at Thanksgiving so I really appreciate it and I I work my damnedest to get these interviews where they should be. I I, I read the book, I do all this research, I I read interviews with the authors, I can I write out my questions as much as I can um even if it's just bullet points just so I have something to talk about. I just recently interviewed Ann Wheaton um who wrote she wrote a picture book it's called Piggy and Pug. I'd never interviewed a picture book author and it's funny because I went into the the interview thinking ah this will be like 20 minutes really you know what are we going to be really be able to talk about um you know aside I really wanted to talk to her because she self-published it and self-publishing mm -hmm. a picture book is very difficult because it's almost impossible to get any traction as a self-published author with a picture book but she yeah. she's her She's Ann Wheaton. Her husband is Will Wheaton, who is on. Yeah. Um, uh, he was on Star Trek: The Next Generation. He's been on Big Bang Theory. But she's made this career for herself with, uh, you know, without having to rely on his name. She's done a fantastic job, and she has, you know, of her own volition, she has a hundred thousand followers, over a hundred thousand followers on wow. Twitter. She she has a, a solid audience for a picture book, and she's done library tours and school tours, and she went to BookCon in New York City a few months ago, she, or last month. She went to um, Emerald City Comic Con, and she's been doing these tours and giving these readings, so she's doing it on her own, and she's doing it um, in a way I don't, I wasn't sure anyone else could really do because of her audience on Twitter. And so that was the main reason I wanted to bring her on. I wanted to ask her, how were you able to do this and be successful at it? And and we got into that. And, and among other things, she's an animal rights activist. Um, she's done a lot of work for the, um, I think it's the, the Los Angeles, um, uh, what is it? The, like the humane society out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and she's, you know, she does a lot of really wonderful work um, with animals and children and everything. So I wanted to talk to her about that. And we had this over an hour conversation um, about the book, about animals, about everything. And it was just really wonderful to talk to someone in a, a, a medium I usually don't get to talk about. I read a ton of picture books because of my son, but I never really get to talk to picture book authors. So that was really yeah. fascinating for me. And I think for my audience, for the, the part of my audience that is looking into self-publishing, um, I think that would be really helpful to them. And and I, I want to say also, TJ, you designed a phenomenal logo. Um, I, I actually, <laughs> I applied to a job at Penguin Random House and mentioned the, the album art is an homage to their classic <laughs> novels. So. Good, good. Yes, I, I, I had a lot of fun. I've done so many graphic things for uh, Erasable and and various sort of stationary adjacent and stationary sort of aligned things. And I forget some of the stuff I've done. Uh, I saw a picture Stuart put up of stickers on boxes and was like, I'm pretty sure at least five of those are mine from some, <laughs> some sort of variation of years. 
and it's class. It's it's really really cool. Uh, I sort of self taught myself to design, and it's it's fantastic that it's now fed into so many little things in this nation that it's it's seen all over the place. And I like being able to help people out and build the community in a way with uh, with graphics if I can, because it it doesn't cost me a lot of time. So if I can do that and help people like yourself to do the, the really cool passion project they're doing, then I'm all about that. I appreciate it, and I, I always give you a shout-out at the end of every episode for, for the work you did, so thank you again. Thank you. Oh, that's lovely. So how come we ended up with just a white logo on a black background? I love the simplicity of the 1857 logo. It's very elegant. Harry, work with me here. Work with me here. We're just, <laughs> just prodding him a little bit. <laughs> All right, well, I'll jump in and say I've been Stuart Lennon. I've been TJ Cosgrove. And I've been Harry Marks. Remember to make the past, the present, in the future. This was 1857. And don't judge a book till it's covered. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Ah, good stuff. Very good. Thank you, gents. That was wonderful.